Well, that's not everlasting life. That's life as long as it takes for you to blow it, which is not going to take that long, by the way. <laughs> Again, let's just read what God says. I mean, if God says, I give you life for a decade, uh, we know it's 10 years. If I give you life for a century, that's 100 years. If I give you life for a millennia, that's 1,000 years. If I give you life forever, that's forever. And it's a gift, by the way. That's why it can be forever. Because we're not required to do anything to get it. Just believe. So Jesus, if you believe in me, and the one who sent me, you shall never, you shall have everlasting life and never come into judgment because you've passed from death to life. That's a one-way door, by the way. All right? So we as believers are never going to be judged. If we're true believers. I mean, there are a lot of people who claim to be believers. As Paul said, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Many will say to me on the day of judgment, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, haven't we, you know, gone to church and been in ministry and done this and that? Depart from me, I never knew you. So there's a lot of people who are playing games with the Lord, and we know that. There's a lot of terrors among the wheat. There's a lot of goats among the sheep. There's a lot of counterfeits among the true. And Jesus said, look, don't worry about running around trying to pick them up because, you know, you're going to uproot some of the wheat trying to pull out the terrors. That's not our job. When the harvest comes and Jesus sends his angels out, they're going to be able to separate the true from the false. But if you're a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you have passed from death to life. You will never come into condemnation, which means you have taken part in the first resurrection. You are going to be with the Lord for all eternity. I think it was Dwight Moody, I think, who first coined the phrase, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. In other words, if you're only born once, of course, that would be physical. And if you're never born the second time, you know, born again, you're going to die twice. You're going to die once physically, and you're going to die a second time spiritually forever in the lake of fire. If you're born twice, physical and spiritual, you're only going to die once physically. And guess what? If we're the generation that sees the rapture, we're not even going to have to die physically. And that's my vote. That's, that's what I... And I'll tell you what, that's looking better and better all the time. I think Jesus Christ is coming soon. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from the prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to, to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 7 tells us that when the thousand years, or after the millennial kingdom is over, that Satan is going to be released from his prison. The question is, why does God let Satan out of prison after a thousand years of paradise and peace on the earth? Why, oh why, is he released again to go around the world causing trouble and leading the rebellion? Well, we touched on it last week. Very simply, the answer to that question is because the people who have been born during the millennial kingdom have never had to make a choice willingly to follow Jesus in their hearts. 
See, outwardly, conformity to Jesus' rule will be mandatory during his reign. But that doesn't mean that everyone will inwardly love him and obey him from the heart. It's a lot of people that, you know, they're, they're, they're going to obey the Lord. They have to. But not all of them are going to do it out of love for him or because they desire to obey him from their heart. It's kind of like the story of the little three-year-old boy whose father said to him, William, sit down. And he just stood there defiantly. Father said again, William, sit down. And he just stood there. The third time the father walked over to him, put his hands on his shoulders and gently forced him to sit. To which little William responded, well, I might be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of how it's going to be for many of the people who have been born, who will have been born during the millennial reign of Christ. They have no choice but to obey him outwardly, but inwardly, many of their hearts are going to be full of resentment and rebellion. And so here, God releases Satan because Satan is actually fulfilling a very important purpose for God. And that is that God is allowing Satan to go throughout the face of the whole earth to tempt those people who have never really had to make a choice. I mean, they've never really had an opportunity the whole thousand years to exercise their free will. You can't have free will if there's only one choice. You have to have something else to choose, right? As we've said before, you can't have true free elections if there's only one candidate. And there's only been Jesus during this thousand-year reign of Christ. I mean, the devil has been bound the whole time. And so now God releases him for a short time, allowing him to go out through the face of the whole earth, tempting those who have never really had an opportunity to exercise their free will and deciding to submit to Jesus' authority willingly or to choose to rebel against him. See, God never forces anyone into heaven. And this is going to be God's final call to the unsaved people of the earth, giving them a chance to make a choice to either live with God forever in heaven by willingly now. Now they're given a choice. Are they going to choose to willingly continue to bow the knee to Jesus' lordship, you know, his authority over them, or when given the opportunity by the devil, as he tempts them, are they going to choose to rebel against the Lord? This is the last call now. These are the final unsaved people on the face of the earth at the end of the millennial kingdom, which is just prior to the institution of the eternal state, what we call heaven. This is their opportunity now. They've always had to obey the Lord. They have never really had a choice about it. Now God gives them the opportunity to decide whether they really want to obey the Lord freely from the heart or they want to rebel against the Lord by following Satan. Well, verse 8 says, And the devil's going to be released and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Don't confuse Gog and Magog here with the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39. In Ezekiel 38, verse 2, it says, God is talking to Ezekiel, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Here in Ezekiel, we learn that Gog is the leader of the land of Magog. Magog speaks of the descendants of Noah's grandson, Magog. You'll read about him in Genesis chapter two, uh, 10, verse 2. These folks settled in the area 
north of the Black and Caspian Sea. They were first of all called the Scythians. And of course, they were the ancestors of the Russian people. And so in that prophecy of Ezekiel, Gog would be the leader of Russia and uh, of the land of Magog. And it says to us in that prophecy in Ezekiel 38 and 9, how at one point, and we don't know exactly when, but most people, including myself, believe that probably right after the rapture, but prior to the beginning of the tribulation period, Russia is going to lead, the leader of Russia is going to lead the armies of Russia along with several uh, Muslim nations against Israel. This is recorded in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And they're going to come against the land of Israel, as, as I have said, many believe sometime just prior to the beginning of the tribulation period. In fact, this war, uh, which is going to lead to God wiping out five-sixths of the Russian army, uh, and it's going to uh, have some kind of nuclear uh, element to it. Uh, very interesting uh, things that we've studied already with regard to this battle. Uh, could be the very thing that will allow the Antichrist to rise to power as the world has been brought to the brink of nuclear war. There's been a, a limited nuclear exchange. And this will so shake the people of the world that they will hasten to th put somebody in the power that can unite the world in a one world government and thus guarantee that this kind of thing might never happen again. Uh, that's just my possible scenario that I, I believe the scriptures could be alluding to. But we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we do know that Russia, along with some uh, Muslim nations, are going to attack Israel. And God is going to rise up and he's going to fight for his people. Now, when we read about Gog and Magog here in Revelation 20, many people, of course, remember that God talked about Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 9. And so they try to say, well, that means that the battle of Ezekiel in 38 and 39 is really going to happen right here at the end of the millennial kingdom. Because here we have Gog and Magog, and they try to you know, relate the two together. Well, um, even though God uses the names Gog and Magog, these battles are not the same. They're, they're very different. Uh, the, the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39, we see the armies coming primarily from the north, which would be around the area of Russia. Uh, and it's going to consist of a handful of nations, mostly Muslim. But in the battle of Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 to 9, it's going to involve all nations. And so armies will come from every direction. Furthermore, nothing in the context of the battle of Ezekiel 38 and 9 is similar to the battle in Revelation. There's no mention of Satan tempting anybody. There is no mention of the millennial conditions that will be around from the millennial kingdom being, you know. I mean, the battle of Ezekiel 38 and 9 is not the same as the battle we read about here in Revelation 20. Also in Ezekiel 39 verses 4 and 17, uh, it describes the invaders in that battle perishing on the mountains of Israel. But according to Revelation 20 verse 9, the rebels in this battle uh, which takes place at the end of the millennial kingdom, will be destroyed, the Greek says, on a broad plain, not in the mountains. Uh, as I said, the timing of each of these battles is different. The battle in Ezekiel 38-9 comes, we believe, prior to the tribulation period beginning, and the one mentioned here in Revelation 20 comes at the end of the millennial kingdom. So the question is, why does John, in Revelation 20, make reference to Gog and Magog with regard to this final battle? Well, it simply could be that John is referencing Gog and Magog in Revelation 20 because 
God is trying to use this battle to draw our attention back to the battle that takes place in Ezekiel 38 and 9, which Ezekiel saw is yet future. And from where we are right today, it is still yet future. It hasn't happened yet. But that battle that's coming, that Ezekiel talks about, which again is going to take place probably just before the tribulation period begins, uh, God is trying to somehow relate that battle to this final one. Oftentimes in the scriptures, God will use a situation to be a kind of a, a foreshadowing of something ultimate that's coming. So the battle in Ezekiel 38 and 9 could be kind of directing our attention, could be a kind of a preview of another ultimate battle that is coming at the end of the millennial kingdom. It also could be that the usage of Gog and Magog in this passage is similar to how we would use the term Waterloo. Waterloo. You know how Napoleon was defeated in the Battle of Waterloo. And because of it, the term Waterloo has come to signify the decisive or final battle of defeat. And so too, I believe that the reference to Gog and Magog in this passage speaks of Satan's final battle against God and his people, a battle that becomes his own personal Waterloo or his demise. Here's something else interesting, though, that I would I'll throw out to you. We also discover from Amos chapter 7, verse 1, in the Septuagint now, it only reads this way in the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures done about 270 B.C. And in the Septuagint, in Amos 7, verse 1, it tells us that Gog is the title of the leader of the demons who are imprisoned in the bottomless pit, which we've already studied, spoken of in Revelation 9. And that being the case, it could be that the reference to Gog and Magog in Revelation 20 could actually be referring to the same, spiritually, to the same demonic forces that are going to be working behind the scenes, bringing Russia and these Muslim nations to battle against Israel, the same demonic forces, Gog and Magog, speaking now not just of an earthly leader and earthly people, but the demonic leader and the demonic forces behind that event, same demons, same leader, demon leader, could be at work here at the end of the millennial kingdom as Satan brings these nations together in rebellion against the Lord at the end of the reign of Christ during the thousand years. Well, verse 8, it says, They will go out, or Satan will go out and deceive the nations who are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle. Listen, whose number is as the sand of the sea. That's how many people follow Satan in his rebellion. But that's not all the people of the world, obviously. I mean, as we've already talked about last time, the millennial kingdom, during the millennial kingdom, there's going to be the greatest population explosion in the history of the world. We know the Bible teaches that the earth is going to be turned at that time into a utopian tropical paradise where the earth's climate will be restored to the time prior to the flood. Remember how the time prior to the flood, there was no severe uh, weather at all. In fact, you had no winter. You had no changes of season. Uh, the earth was very tropical throughout. Uh, in fact, there was not any rain that, uh, that appeared on the earth at all until after the flood. Well, until the flood, which when God opened the windows of heaven, began to pour rain upon the earth. Until that time, the Bible says every night a mist came up from the ground and watered everything. The climate was very tropical throughout the face of the whole earth. Because God is going to restore the climate 
to how it was before the flood, during the millennial kingdom, you're going to see food will be in abundance. Sickness will be either non-existent or very rare. People will be able to live anywhere they want on the face of the earth because, again, there's going to be no harsh climates, just like it was before the flood. You say, well, how do you know that? Do you know that scientists have uncovered in Siberia under the ice, buried way down in the ice, woolly mammoths, these prehistoric elephants, and when they cut them open, they found tropical vegetation still in their digestive tracts. They had been frozen so quickly when God opened the windows of heaven and the climate around the earth changed instantaneously. You had super cold uh, air that flooded into that area of the world and froze these creatures so quickly they didn't even have time to digest the tropical vegetation in their digestive tracts. Because of that and many other reasons we don't have time to go into tonight, we know that throughout the face of the earth, it was very, very tropical, very climate was very, um, uh, not harsh at all. And it's going to be that way again. And people will be able to live anywhere they want in the face of the planet because everywhere they want to live, there's going to be, it's going to be uh, hospitable. I mean, you're going to be able to live there because there won't be any harsh climate. Also during this time, the Bible tells us there's not going to be any war. Crime and injustice will not be tolerated by the Lord. As people in the world at that time are going to live under a perfect and absolutely righteous government under the rule and the reign of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Not only that, the Bible teaches that during the Millennial Kingdom, God is going to restore the earth's atmospheric canopy. Listen, before the flood, the Bible tells us that God, when he originally created the world, remember how it says he, he divided the waters from the waters by putting the sky and the atmosphere. What, what, what the Hebrew is saying is that you had the waters on the surface of the earth, then you had the atmosphere. And up in the upper atmosphere, you had another blanket of water, a, a water vapor that kind of encased the earth. What this did was, first of all, it filtered out all the harmful cosmic radiation from outer space, which jams the DNA in our cells and causes us to age much more rapidly than God designed us to age. You remember before the flood, people were living uh, 800, 900 years. People say, how could that possibly be? That, that can't be true. Well, scientists have proven that it's because of the harmful radiation that floods into our atmosphere and jams our DNA and causes us to age our cells to break down uh, quicker. They don't reproduce like they, they should. So we age quicker and we die sooner than God intended us to die. Also, this moisture blanket acted as a terrarium. Those of you who have ever had a terrarium, you don't really have to water a terrarium very much, right? You water it once and then and then the, it, the, um, the, the water vapors rise from the earth, collect on the sides of the terrarium, and then rewater that whatever you got in there, right? Well, this moisture barrier we learn from Genesis, caused the earth to kind of just water itself in a sense. Every night a mist came up from the ground and watered the earth. There was no rain before the flood. Also, this, uh, this moisture barrier, when the sun came into the earth's atmosphere, uh, it kind of bounced off of this moisture barrier throughout the earth so that even on the dark side of the earth, there was a twilight which caused uh, this increased light around the earth caused plants to grow very large. We have fossils of asparagus plants 15 feet high because there was prolonged light which caused more growth and so on. 
So it was a different world back then, right? Before the flood. And God is going to return the world to that time, in a sense. And because of it, people are going to live upwards of 900 years, just like they did before the flood. This is going to cause a population explosion to end all population explosions. Those people that enter into the millennial kingdom with their physical bodies, who have escaped the Antichrist and have hid out, and, and when Jesus returns, they're allowed to come into the millennial kingdom, of course, with their physical bodies. They will marry, have children. Their children will grow and have children. There, again, it's going to be a great population explosion during this thousand years. Many people will live until the very end of the thousand years. But remember this, these children born of these people that have their physical bodies, these children are going to be born with a fallen sinful nature. They're not going to be born redeemed. They're not going to have their glorified bodies. They're going to be just like we were before we got saved. They're going to have physical bodies. They're going to have a fallen sin nature. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to keep it in check because he's not going to tolerate sin or injustice. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. He said,